Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from his looks for Damas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight on That Kevin Show, a thinker, podcast, and TV host who has a sense of humor. No, she promises she does. Julie Hartman. She understands the importance of being earnest or at least being his granddaughter, Mariel Hemingway. And a heartfelt Americana spotlight tonight with Alex Maybe. Now, live from Times Square, where the very first FBI whistleblower spotted that Hunter Biden laptop, here's that Kevin! I, I don't think, Dave, announcer Dave, I, I don't think it was the FBI that first spotted the laptop in Times Square. In fact, it's my understanding that the FBI was given the laptop and that the closest person to Times Square that saw it was Rudy Giuliani, who then looked at everything on the laptop long before it uh, <clears throat> hit public consumption, and we still haven't had answers for a bunch of that. Welcome to Saturday. Gavin McCullough, glad to have you with us. It has been the week of Hunter Biden. I don't know if anybody noticed this. Uh, by the way, breaking news, we're on top of what's going on in Russia. Uh, we, 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 we see and understand and know, and more updates on that as uh, the news requires. But I got to say, this was the week of Hunter Biden. When you look at the, the the starting out the week and he gets charged and everybody's thinking, oh, we, there's going to be some sort of justice here for Hunter Biden. And then there's no real justice. Uh, surely the, the, the crimes on the laptop, sex with his underage cousin, porn films, uh, doing illicit drugs, uh, all kinds of documentation for transactions that uh, defy morality. Incredulity. Um, yeah, we, we thought we we're going to get all that. N none of it was in there. And oddly enough, the, the, the theory, boys and girls, is floating around out there that, that the DOJ released that agreement at the beginning of the week because they knew that the congressional committee was going to come down with a bunch of stuff, which they did. And they've got more whistleblowers coming forward now than they had had before. And not all of them are helpful to Hunter. None of them are helpful to Hunter Biden's cause. So the, 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 where the week started with Hunter is, oh, well, a couple of tax charges. Uh, yeah, gun felony, but we're going to let you go into a diversion program for that. I don't know what that is. Rappers didn't like this. Some rappers had paid and had not paid the same amount of taxes and they got three to five years in prison. Hunter gets nothing. So this is already ticking off some of the core voters that Joe Biden's going to need. But here's the thing. By the end of the week, another IRS 
whistleblower had come forward. And in this whistleblower's uh, testimony, he he brought the receipts. Take a look. Um, actual captured, verified screenshot of a WhatsApp conversation that Hunter Biden had with a Chinese business executive. And either Hunter's lying in this interchange or uh, Joe Biden's now lying about it, but one of them are lying. He said, I'm sitting here with my father and we'd like to understand why the commitment has not been fulfilled. Hmm, what commitment could that be? Oh, the bribery you're talking about. Yes, the bribe. The bribe has not hit his Venmo account yet. Um, why it has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand. <laughs> Dude, Hunter as the mob boss. And Z, uh, I'm assuming that's this guy's name, Zhang. If I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will not that you will regret not following my direction, I'm sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Now, who is Hunter Biden's debt? Well, it's obviously Joe Biden. So there's no there's no ambiguity about what he's threatening here. That if he doesn't get his way, that in a very short period of time, he's going to go scorched earth on whoever this business executive is from China. And I, I was reading through this yesterday and I did not land on that word, but the chairman, <laughs> is that the is that Chairman G that he's talking about? This executive is the head of the company, but every company's run by the Chinese Communist Party. Is 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 it the chairman? Is it Xi himself? We we don't know. But you know who does know is Hunter Biden, and that's why Hunter Biden needs to be brought before Congress and be forced to answer for this WhatsApp exchange, if nothing else. Now, the the fun little detectives that are all over <clears throat> the interwebs these days. After the WhatsApp screenshot was made public, then said, hmm, let's go look at the bank records from the account that Hunter Biden was operating at the time. And oh, looky there. Uh, looky there. Right there. Just a couple of days after this uh, WhatsApp account uh, was uh, was involved in this screenshot, just just within days there's suddenly a $100,000 deposit that goes in. My guess is that's that's the test. And then within just a little bit later, $5 million gets put into that uh, account from an overseas transaction. A foreign transaction came into that account right after he was strong-arming, mob boss Hunter, right after he was strong-arming the Chinese executive. Now, because this all happened after the indictment, and of course, some of the press were interested in understanding what it was that had happened, uh, people started getting questions about it, and they didn't like it. Corinne Jean-Pierre didn't like it. Uh, the Secretary of Defense didn't like it. Uh, the, the DOJ uh, Attorney General did not like it. 
They were all asked about it. They were all expected to come up with some sort of answer to it, and none of them did. I don't want to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to respond to that question. Very interesting days for the, for the Hunter Biden these days. All right, we're, we got a big show. Julie Hartman's here. Alex Maybe is here. Mariel Hemingway, the ageless beauty of Mariel Hemingway, is here. You got to stick around for the full show tonight. Um, but I'm very excited because, and we want to kick this off right now. Uh, 888-342-1010 is the phone number. 888-342-1010. You know we've been rescuing slaves from northern Sudan. So far, 72 women have received their freedom because of your generosity, because of you picking up the phone, 888-342-1010, and saying, I want to make a difference. We've told you some of their stories, and the, the stories that we've been telling you are women that were liberated by some of you a year ago. So thank you for your faithfulness and continuing to do that. But this is the exciting announcement I have for tonight. Every slave we liberate up to the next 10 has the potential to be matched. What we need to do, a very generous uh, viewer, listener to this show, has said uh, that they, he, will liberate 10 slaves all on his own. That's a one-time gift of $2,500, $2,500. That will liberate 10 slaves all in one gift if we can come up with a combination of 10 that get um, freed tonight. So on the commercial break, I'm going to go and liberate a slave. Will you join us? We need nine more of you to take that step and to be in this uh, effort with us. We're going to liberate uh, women that have been nothing but abused. Uh, these women are lovely. You've, if you've been watching or listening to the show, you know how big a deal this is. But we have two hours to get 10 people liberated. And if we do, another 10 will be liberated in a single gift. 888-342-1010-888-342-1010-888-342-1010 or online at bringherhome.org. Just go right now, bringherhome.org, bringherhome.org, make your gift, and let's liberate uh, 20 women tonight from slavery. What, what an amazing thing. 888-342-1010, 888-342-1010, go right now, bringherhome.org. Coming right back. I knew it. Uh, come on, Cab. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told you. I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some, too. Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. Welcome back to Times Square. Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. And on, on the weekends, you know we like to have a lot of fun. Uh, and I think you're going to be delighted to get to know my next guest uh, because she is very much cut of very unexpected uh, cloth. Uh, she is um, college educated, 
extremely well-spoken. She has no business having a conversation with someone as illiterate as me. And yet she is one of the most down-to-earth, common-sense thinkers that I think I've heard uh, express the things that she has in recent weeks. And she's like, I don't know, I think she's Gen Z, not even millennial. So we're talking like really, really the next generation. You can see her on SNC every weekend. Her uh, podcast is called Timeless. She also is co-host of Dennis and Julie. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Julie Hartman. And what an intro. I don't think I'm deserving of such praise, but I'll take it. Thanks, Thanks for being here. Um, I heard you and Dennis talking a couple of weeks ago about the surprisingly humorous sides of both of your personalities. We were remarking on Dennis and Julie that sometimes that side of me doesn't come out as much as I would like to, because on my show, Timeless, I talk about timeless, eternal subjects. Right. I talk about, because part of my show, one segment is Julie Noted in its news, but the other part of my show, I want to talk about non-political, non-newsy stuff just to educate people and enrich their lives because so much today is political. So I've talked about Islam on the show. A quarter of the world is Muslim. We should know a lot about Islam, you know, just to be informed citizens. I talked about Machiavelli the other day, and I I asked the question, does he deserve to be called ruthless and Machiavellian? And I kind of take a step back and I go, yes, I have this very cerebral side of me. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) I also like to think I'm kind of fun. So I'm trying to bring that more into my show. I'll tell you quickly um, just one example of something I used to do in college. You may get a kick out of this. I used to, at parties, try to identify really liberal looking people. And it wasn't hard. You know, people with like the the piercings on all over their face and stick and poke tattoos and blue hair. And I would go up to them. They wouldn't know my politics. And I would act like I was super liberal. Be like, oh my gosh, how are you doing the systems? We have to upend this. Just to kind of like make fun of the situation. And all of my friends who knew that I was conservative thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a little bit of that on my program. Who knows? That that would be fun. Uh, speaking of which, how many 23-year-olds, for the ladies and gentlemen, those of you watching, how many 23-year-olds do you know that can hold court on Nietzsche for an hour uh, <laughs> nationwide and um, even help people like me learn stuff? Um, you're, you're very talented, Julie, and it's very, very uh, noted. And you should know that our big boss, Phil Boyce, um, was at Talker's conference just last weekend. I was there as well. It's tiny little, we, we think it's huge. It's the tiny little gathering of the talk radio industry. And he was on a panel and uh, they were asking him about the new direction that Salem is doing with a lot of stuff. And he mentioned the fact that there are young talent out there that deserve to be heard. And he mentioned you by name on that panel and talked about your good work. So it's being noted everywhere, the good job that you're doing. What do you do? Do do you sit around and read about Machiavelli and Nietzsche for fun? Is this, is this how you, I mean, most 23 year olds are scrolling, doom scrolling their Instagram all day. I mean, you, you barely go on social media from what I understand. Yes. So I actually do read for fun. And by the way, it wasn't always this way in my life. This is kind of a recent development. And I talked about that on a recent show where I said it's been so liberating to graduate from college and to not have to write essays about every book that I read or focus on some obscure symbol and try to read too much into the meaning. The overanalyzation, if you will, of literature, I think really deadens it. So now that I've graduated, I read these books for fun. There is 
isn't the pressure of having to write about them. And I feel like I've encountered the secret that I want to share with everyone that actually it's really interesting stuff. It's palatable stuff. And I want all of us to know about it. So yeah, it sounds nerdy, but I, I do well, do that. Uh, we like nerds in my house. My my kid qualified for the Latin, the International Latin Award this year, and we were not expecting wow. that. We didn't even know he was taking the test, and he he got mag, mag, maxima cum laude, whatever that is. Um, let's talk about from your perspective. You're 23. I think you said that this week on the radio. Um, we, the nation is facing a lot of very tumultuous um, forces at work right now. You have. Um, literally in California at this very minute, uh, the legislature there trying to push through a bill that would remove children from the custody of their parents if the parents don't affirm their desire to mutilate their body for the sake of gender affirmation. Julie, when I was 23, this wasn't even close to being on the radar screen of anybody in America, much less the nightly news. But this is the world we live in right now. What does your generation say about the days we are in? Hmm. Well, you, you say it wasn't the case when you were growing up. This wasn't even the case three years ago. Now I believe there are 18 states which have some kind of banning, thankfully, on transgender surgeries for minors. Back in 2019, there were zero states that had such laws because they didn't even need to have such laws. To answer your question about my generation, I think... Well, A, some of them are not aware of how bad it is. Now, some of it is a willful ignorance, but when you're reading the New York Times exclusively or only watching CNN, they're not reporting on this. And I will tell some of my peers facts, and they look at me like I'm an Oompa Loompa. They have no idea what I'm talking about. So so part of it is they, they don't know how bad it is. But I think another part of it is that we, and I hinted at it a few moments ago, we kind of blindfold ourselves. We don't want to understand the situation that we're in. I think a lot of uh, people my age think in terms of, well, if it doesn't affect me, then why should I care? And so we've lost this sense of civic responsibility. I say previous generations of Americans used to understand that they were past the torch of civilization, mm -hmm. and it was their responsibility to run forth with it and carry it, it on well. We don't think that way anymore. We think, where am I going to college? Where am I going to work? How am I going to enrich myself at the end? Um, as the father of an almost eighth grader, uh, this weighs on me heavily because I want him to be a guiding missile uh, into the uh, into the darkness, and I, I want I want it to be something that that he does with some degree of ease and familiarity. So we're gonna we're gonna keep talking about this stuff in the McCullough House, but I think we're gonna have to we're gonna from a societal standpoint. It's been well documented that center right people are having more kids than center left people for the last couple of generations. We got to keep that up and we got to even do a better job of making sure that those, that next generation um, understands and appreciates the worldview that they're coming from. Because if we don't evangelize our own gospel, so to speak, we're not going to, we're, we're, we're going to be responsible for the downfall. And I don't want to, I don't want that to happen on my watch. Make sure you go to snc.tv every Saturday morning 
Uh, you can watch both uh, Dennis and Julie, the show that she does with Dennis Prager, and you can watch Timeless. I think they do two episodes back to back in an hour on uh, Saturday morning. So you can check that out. And then it replays again, I think, a couple of times during the weekend. And it's always on demand on the homepage. So you can go to snc.tv. You can download the app. It's available on every screen in America. There's no reason why you cannot be watching Timeless with Julie Hartman. And you need to stick around because she's coming right back with me from New York on that Kevin show. Ready or not, you'll be right back. That Kevin. Now, back to that Kevin McCullough. Welcome back to Times Square. Kevin McCullough, that Kevin show coming up in the music spotlight tonight. It is Alex Maybe, M-A-B-E-Y. I don't know why that's spelled that. I'm going to ask her about it, but uh, she's got two brand new singles for us tonight before we're done. And in assignment desk weekend tonight, we go tripping in T-Square again. We're going to, we're going to ask some everyday people from the middle of the busiest intersection on planet earth. Uh, if they know some of the basic facts about just about anything. You you want to stick around. It's going to be a lot of fun. We continue, though, with Julie Hartman, uh, who joins us uh, from her luscious, spacious uh, Southern California spread, uh, the, the Hartman estate, as it's known. Um, Julie, thanks for being with us. Um, we live in a in a fairly binary political universe. It's, you know, my tribe versus your tribe, and we're right and you're wrong, and that's the end of the story. I've never felt like that was the healthiest way for us to solve problems. But if you were queen president for the day, um, what would you do? How would you change the equation? What, what improvements would you like to see that could develop a dialogue along a different path that might actually benefit the world instead of tearing it apart? Mm. Well, I just try to lead by example. And, and I think we, we underestimate that as conservatives, um, just in your own life, being an example of someone who is actually tolerant, who values diversity of opinions, who can disagree, um, respectfully, uh, again, we underestimate that when I was at Harvard, I just thought there will be people that I will hopefully influence who will never admit they're being influenced by me. And every day I just have to carry myself with a conduct that I'm proud of and, yeah. and hope that that will make an impact. Um, I do think we've gotten way too political, especially my generation. I've seen politics become a way for people to obtain meaning. And I feel that that politics is the wrong uh, source to pull that meaning from. And specifically, leftism provides a lot of people in my generation with a sense of purpose. They don't know what to do with their lives. They don't know what uh, gives them uh, a sense of uh purpose in the world, they'll go out and participate in a climate change protest or go march for Black Lives Matter. That's not where our energy should, being should be being funneled. So on my show Timeless, as I mentioned, 
I like to bring up non-political subjects to reignite a sense of meaning and interest in the world that doesn't have to do with our political affiliation. I mentioned Machiavelli. I talked about Islam. I talk about helicopter parenting. I talked about the origin of language. How did different dialects emerge? I talked about owls on one episode. Just fun, interesting topics so we can see that we have more to relate to with each other. I've always thought very similarly, and I'm I'm more than twice your age, so it, it's I've been around a long time. But if you strip down the labels, if you take the labels away from the from the everyday conversations about the biggest issues that our government and society is facing, and and you you strip away Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, progressive. MAGA, whatever, whatever the two opposite ends of all, if you strip it all away and you talk about concepts, individual responsibility, um, owning uh, your mistakes, um, having incentives for your benefit to exceed and to do uh, excellent with, you start to find mass amounts of uh, agreement on things across the board. It is when you just drop in those qualifiers that people go, Ugh, I'm not that. Um, and I think that there's some degree of encouragement from that reality and also discouragement from that reality, because I would like to hope that we could have a dialogue that deals on the substance and not on the frivolous um, packaging, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree. I hope that one day we can get there, but um, people view uh, disagreement in a mean way as their divine providence, as their right to, and indeed their responsibility to exercise over conservatives. I was having dinner with a relative who I haven't seen recently. My grandma was at the dinner and he started yelling at me and calling me a fascist. And I'm thinking- This was your relative? This is a relative and I'm thinking, not in my immediate family, my extended family, and I'm thinking, what gives you the right to disrupt a family dinner with my grandma here? And it's just what I said. It's that they view getting in conservatives' face, letting conservatives know how evil we are as their responsibility to do. I mean, look, I may not be conservative if I lived in another country. In another country, I may want to progress away from the uh, established norms. But in a country like the United States, with all of our blessings and privileges and three freedoms who the heck wouldn't want to conserve this uh watcher on timeless uh on the salem news channel you can see it on snc.tv you can download it on any app any screen in the world can get it julie it's been a delight to have you with us please come back oh i will it's been a delight to be with you thank you you got Ready it or not you'll be right back Live from Times Square, we're back, and I am very honored to welcome my next guest. You know, not all of the artists that appear on the uh, music spotlight uh, ever come on for an interview. In fact, uh, there are several that uh, would just prefer to have their music played. But when I reached out to this week's artist, uh, she was glad to, and I think she has an interesting story to tell. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome Alex Maybe. Hello, Alex. 
Hello, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I was really pleased when I reached out to you. You were like, sure, I'd love to be part of the show. Um, you're from a genre of music that they call Americana, which is kind of hard to define if people are not used to hearing it. It may even sound a little bit uh, different to their ear than like mainstream pop or country or something else. What is it? How did you get into it? Uh, what is it about it that you like? Well, you know, I always say to spell it out a little bit, people like the Eagles and Jackson Brown, Alison Krauss and Robert Plant, those kind of albums are what would be played on Americana radio. So they're what used to be kind of traditional mainstream country, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And now it's the genre of Americana because tr country now has turned into pop country, you know, yeah, a very yeah. different type of sound. And so it's a bit more traditional. They'll, they'll drop, they'll drop a rap beat into most yeah. country songs now, which is kind exactly. Of and so it just doesn't, it's not the same style. It's not the same feel, but Americana is also very broad. I say I'm Americana, but I also say I'm Americana Christian because I write about what I know, which is what I go through and I get through those things with God. So I write about that too, but it's not specifically about that. Um, it's just whatever feels true to whatever season I'm going through, but you could also call it folk or singer songwriter. Yeah. I, I kind of, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my artist friends, it's hard to fit us into a box. It's hard to say I'm one thing because humans are multifaceted. So our music is going to display that well, too. If you look at where um, Taylor Swift started and what she sounds like now, it's like two different worlds. Completely. Yeah. Somebody showed me a TikTok the other day of what I mean by when I listen to all genres, it's, and it showed Taylor Swift with all her different genres. <laughs> over the years, and it made me laugh so hard because I can relate to that. I really can. Like I'll get so into my. True. So on bit. your next album, there'll be a rap beat dropped into one <laughs> of the country songs. So that's I don't know about rap, I have that to look forward to. I actually did in high school do some like my friends were really good lyricists and so they would do rap songs and I would do a hook like a melody hook and then we would kind of pair it. So I guess yeah. I kind of have done that a little bit. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, talk to me about um, what, why you do music and kind of your story. Where, where'd you come from? Where'd you come from? Where'd you go? I came from Washington state. So I always say where people, where they filmed Twilight. So it was like, Big, huge trees, a national park. Just um, fewer vampires. Yeah. Well, there were Werewolves. Yeah. I always say I dated Edward or Jacob. I can't remember one of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I came from there and I actually grew up quite a ways from like the nearest grocery store or, you know, dance or theater community or anything. My mom would put on theater a lot. So I grew up kind of being musical because of her and the women in my family, um, the generations, they were all musical to some extent. And so, um, yeah, I just started in theater and then I wanted to be on Broadway. So speaking of New York, I wanted to be on Broadway. Eponine from Les Mis is like my dream role. Maybe one day <laughs> I can still be her. Um, but then my voice kind of changed a little bit and I started going through hard times, you know, with just different things in my life and boys. Mm. Before. So I started writing and learned the guitar so that's kind of where that started. And then it was just history because I was, I had so much to say and, um, and I was just felt comfortable saying it, uh, for good or for bad. <laughs> so, uh, that's kind of how that went. And I ended up releasing so this album that I just put out, which I'm sure we'll talk about. This is my sixth album. So nice. I kind of have always just put music out, whether or not anybody heard it, I just put it out. And it's funny because I didn't do any marketing, didn't even realize that was a thing really until like. <laughs> 
five years ago or something. And it was just, it just, I just put out the music. You well, know? and regardless, you found your way to uh, Mecca because you're a Nashvilleian now. So, um, yeah. or as my friends in the business call it, Nash Vegas. Um, yes. We're speaking with Alex Maybe, and we're going to feature two of your songs tonight. And I want to make sure we kind of get the story behind them. The first one that we're going to hear is, is Wait. Uh, beautiful video, by the way. Uh, what's it all about? I'm so happy you chose that song. That is a really special song to me. I I actually, um, it's the last song on the album. And I recorded that video in Alaska. I used to live there. And so some of my friends are great with creatives. And we went out and, and really, they did a great job of depicting it. So y'all make sure you go online and, and look at it. It's awesome. But the song came from a place of giving hope to people that are walking a similar road of leaving their marriage or leaving a relationship. That's what the whole album is. It's a whole process of grief. And so it takes you from the beginning to the end. And so at the end, there's a bit of healing that I'm starting to experience. And so wait is my song to other people to just say, hang on because hope is coming. The album is called um, the waiting room. And so it's right. that period of time before your answer. I mean, you could be dealing with health issues. Like I've struggled with autoimmune stuff and this album mm -hmm. was also about that. So literal waiting rooms and it happened during the COVID time. So it was like all of these That's things. That's a lot. Yeah. I didn't have answers and I was praying and hoping and, and wishing for the miracle. And we're all going through that at, to some extent, at some point in our lives, there's a season of waiting and it's hard to wait. And yeah. So I just want the song and this album to bring comfort for people during that time. It's not necessarily like, this is how you heal. It's like, <laughs> we're in this together. That's what this album is. If if life were a checkbox, then it would be very boring and we would yeah. not learn much and um, we would never grow. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the beauty of it. The other song that we're going to hear from is called The Well. I love that song. That song was healing for me. Uh, I wrote it after my divorce was final and um, I really felt like it was the first song that I had written that validated my pain. Hmm. It's like sometimes when you're in those unhealthy relationships, you think you're making it up or they tell you that you're making it up or making a big deal about it or whatever. And so there's a lot of, I guess you call it gaslighting. And so when you're out of it, it takes a while for you to realize what situation you're in and what the truth actually was. Well, judging from your body of work thus far, I think you've got a lot more to write and to still say. You've got a new album coming up uh, soon, and we'll encourage people to check that out. But friends, yeah. when we come back from this break, uh, we will hear from Alex. Uh, it is called Wait, and that's on the other side of this. Alex, maybe thank you for being with us. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin McCullough, live from New York, coming right back. Ready or not, we'll be right back. That Kevin. Serving it up with a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. Ladies and gentlemen, we just had a chance to get to know her just a little bit. Uh, here she is from her newest project, Alex Maybe. the one who see. Gonna clear away. Through the one who see. Gonna clear your sorrow away. Through the one who will say. Gonna come in thunder. To the stars, can you hear? 
Kevin McCullough coming up next hour. Mario Hemingway plus more music spotlight. Stick around. Hey, get the soundtrack. Search hashtag new music spotlight on Spotify or Apple Music.